Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 27 to 36. This is going to be our text for today, and this is going to kind of be the anchor, uh, anchor point for the entirety of this series. Um, we, won't, we won't stay in this portion of Scripture the whole time, but as we kind of lay the foundation today in this series, everything's going to kind of uh, string out from here. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36 is Jesus speaking, and he says, but I say to you who are listening, everybody listening? Okay. Love your enemies. Nope. No longer listening. <laughs> He says, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you and from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. I'm trying to teach my children that right now. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. How many of you, like me, you read this just up to this point, and I'm like, I really don't like what you're saying, Jesus. And we can say those things, so don't worry. It's okay. We can, we can, we can feel that way, but we're going to learn some stuff here. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners uh, love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Uh, even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do what is good and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. For he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. That's a, that's a hard statement. Because many times we, we, don't, we don't like that reality. We don't want it to be that way, right? For he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful just as your father is also merciful. So today as we begin our series, The Violence of Good, I want to speak to you from the subject, stiff arms and car dealerships. <laughs> stiff arms and car dealerships. <laughs> so far, everybody's laughed at that title. So hopefully it's because you don't think it's weird <laughs> as, we look at, as we look at what Jesus says about loving others. Come on, can we pray one more time this morning? Jesus, we love you, we worship you, we thank you for your word this morning, we thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's powerful, it has the ability to transform us from the inside out. And so God, right now, I pray that you would just give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that you want to show us and what it is that you want us to hear this morning. We love you. We thank you for this time. I thank you for these amazing people that sit in this building this morning, the church, not the four walls, but us, the people that make it up. And as we come into this place from different backgrounds and different places and different situations, God, I pray that we would all be unified underneath one name, the name of Jesus, which is above every other name. And we thank you that your name is great, that your name is mighty, and it has the power to save in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, everybody, shout it. Amen. Amen. So I've got three kiddos. Uh, two of those are daughters, uh, my middle child and my youngest child. And uh, so every single Wednesday, I get to hang out with my middle child as Erica just does whatever she wants to do on Wednesday. Um, she goes, she's gone, she's doing work, she's doing her thing. And so me and Elle, uh, Eliana is her full name, I call her uh, Elle, and, uh, and so her and I, we get to hang out together, and we, I sermon prep a lot on Wednesdays, and I'm just at home with her, we're doing on a, lot of, a lot of busy work where I can be with her, and, and uh, it's like daddy daycare for the day, it's awesome. But this particular Wednesday, just a few days ago, um, I needed to go bring our, uh, one of our cars in to get fixed at the dealership. And we were talking about going to a mechanic or going to the dealership. And, and mechanics are mechanics, right? But the dealership at least has like a box to stick children in. And so 
I decided I was going to go there because um, it was going to be easier for me and, and I can manage L. And so I wander in. I've got a uh, daughter in tote and bag and, and everybody at the Toyota dealership was helping me out and they were being really kind and, and gracious about things. And so I wander into the, to the box of children and I put L down and I pull out my computer and, and uh, I'm kind of typing away and watching her and so on and so forth. And then this lady walked in and she had her kiddo with her. It was a, it was a little boy about, about L's age, about 17, 18 months. And and, uh, and at that moment, I, I looked the kid up and down. I was trying to figure out who was entering my daughter's space. I'm already, I'm already kind of there with any dude in my girl's space. I eye him. And so, so I was like, what you want, 17-month-old? Come on. <laughs> and so we were, I was watching him, and, and I said hi to the mom, and, and uh, you know, had a nice little smile on, and hi, how you doing? And then, and then I watched what transpired in those moments, uh, which took my smile away. And so... This little kid, El was playing, and he had a binky in his mouth, and she had a binky in her mouth. He put his binky down, and as he put his binky down, I realized there's boogers everywhere. It's not coming out. And then at that moment, I realized something. I was like, I don't like this kid. And so, because sickness is going around, and so now I'm like watching what's going on, and he walks over to El, and he tries to take her binky. Yeah, Exactly. So he reaches over and she moves her head and she's got this, this word that she's really good with right now, no. <laughs> and she's like, no. She moves her head away, no. And I was like, good girl. And so I'm now looking at the mom and, and, and I was hoping that she didn't realize I was a pastor because I was like giving her the stank eye now, like get your kid out, my kid's business and he's got stuff happening all up here. And so he did it again, reached for her binky and that's like when I started to scoot over again and, and like I scooted my chair over to make some noise to let her know like I'm watching now, remove your kid from my daughter's space. And so, but again, and she's like, no, right? And then after he realized that he couldn't get the binky from my daughter, he thought he was going to be the loving child. And so it was in that moment that he walks over to her and he tries to hug her and then give her a kiss. I know. But then something amazing happening. The spirit of the Lord rose up in her. And I saw something I'd never seen before. This little kid goes in for his maneuver and she literally throws up her arm. Stiff arm. Bap. The kid goes down to the ground. I was like, praise Jesus. <laughs> And then I leaned over to the little boy and I was like, remember that when you're 17. So <laughs> just got owned. <laughs> she stiff armed this kid and he goes down and I was kind of laughing and the mom was appalled and <laughs> looking at me as if I was the bad parent. <laughs> you ever just wanted to stiff arm somebody? Come on, that's a real question. Like we can, yeah, okay, thank you. Come on, I, I got a yes in the back. I got another. Can I get a witness in church this morning? Yeah. All of our teens are like, yeah, me, me. I know there's been times in my life where I was just like, it's so, it'd be so much easier just to blah, stiff arm, right? If we could just walk through the, the world that we live in, just stiff arm, stiff arm, stiff arm, stiff arm. But the reality is, is that Jesus shares with us something a lot more profound, a lot more impactful for our life. He says, don't, don't stiff arm people. He says, love people. Love your enemies and do good to those who do bad things at times. And if we're honest, if you're like me and you read that piece of scripture, that, that, it's hard for me to swallow at times because we have a different way of, of, of looking at things. It's a hard pill to swallow. And the truth is today it seems like we're living in a powder keg that at any moment could blow. 
Tensions are high, and it seems like everyone and everything is at odds with each other. Have you ever realized that? Culture, faith, races, people groups, parties, constituents, and countries all going head-to-head right now at an unprecedented pace and with great aggression. All of us asking the question, if you're like me, when will it stop or worse, when will it come to a head? And we've seen that happen a few times now, haven't we? Jesus shows us a better way. He shows us the true violence of good. A statement that at first glance seems counterintuitive. It is, and it's not. You see, many resort to violence to push an agenda to further a cause and to make a point. But Jesus shows us that the most violent act to provoke change in the world is, in fact, goodness. The goodness of our hearts, the goodness of our hands applied to the world around us is, in fact, how we change the world. See, Jesus was the ultimate picture of this truth, and it's why his disciples and many others were so frustrated at him at so many different moments in his ministry. See, they wanted a revolution of bloodshed, and he brought them a reformation of life change. See, the call has never been greater. His weapons of warfare were healing and forgiveness and grace and love, a hand extended, and come on, church, a cross carried. He ushered in salvation while others wanted him to usher in war. And the call has never been more clear. The stakes have never been higher as they are now. The the writer Thomas Nash captured the gravity of this truth in his novel, The Unfortunate Traveler. We've been looking at the quote, but this is the fullness of it. He says, wherein, let me dilate a little more gravely than the nature of this history requires or will be expected of so young a practitioner in divinity. That not those that intermissively cry, Lord, open unto us, Lord, open unto us, interverse the kingdom. That not the greatest professors have the greatest portion in grace. That all is not gold that glisters. When Christ said, the kingdom of heaven must suffer violence, he meant not the violence of long babbling prayers, nor the violence of tedious invective sermons without wit, but the violence of faith, the violence of good works, the violence of patient suffering. We who desire to change the world must not do so with conventional weapons of warfare, but rather with our love, with our joy, by our peace, by our patience, by our kindness, by our gentleness, by our faithfulness, and with great self-control. These are the tools necessary for change. These are the weapons of our warfare. The greatest act of change one can ever participate in is the violence of good, and it's this good that changes the world. It's this good that changes the world. And if you're new to the well, I want to let you know something. There's some crazy people that are sitting in here today. Some of you are like, yeah, I gathered that. Because there's some of us in here that believe legitimately that we can just change the world. We can just change the city. We can just change our neighborhoods. We can just change our schools and our workplaces. Come on, somebody. We can bring change to the world around us. We haven't been defeated. Come on, Jesus got out of the grave. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. All the Bible-y things that we can hear and know, we gotta understand that if he is for us, nothing can be against us. The question is, is are we willing to love like him? That's the question. Are we willing to love like him? So the answer or the question is always is how? Everybody say how. How do we do this? How does, what does this look like? What are the practical measures, the discipline, the decision necessary to do so? What do our interactions look like and consist of? And this is what we're going to try to accomplish the answer over the next 10 weeks as we kind of wander through this series and to discover what 
what God says about loving others and some of the issues that come out of that. We're going to talk about some challenging stuff. So with everybody looking at me this morning, I'm going to, I'm going to let you know that this, this series is going to be surgical. I want to be your pastor. I want to help us see some things that we need to see in the current moment that we're sitting in, in our culture, in our society, and in, in our world, so that we can be the church and in our neighborhoods and in our places and spaces. Come on, so we can be the church that God's called us to be. So that we can be that church. So the first thing that we have to ask is this, who's our enemy? Who's our enemy? I think that's a good question. Because for many of us, we don't designate our, we don't designate enemy the way that the Bible is designating right here. And this term used, enemy, right here in this particular piece of scripture, is honestly kind of the best English word, a singular word to use. But really, when you examine the, when you examine the breakdown of this word, it's a, it's a broader word. And this is what the word means. Our enemy is not just those who bring hurtful things against us and say bad things and are, are what we would presume an enemy, an enemy to be, but rather an enemy is this, those we do not naturally love. Those where it doesn't work naturally, have you ever met that person before? Where you're like, I don't want to love you. L met that little boy. He's like, I don't want to love you. You ever stiff on somebody with your shoulder? It's getting quiet in the church this morning. <laughs> you ever stiff arm somebody with your words before? Come on, spouses, have we ever stiff armed our, our spouse with, with our eyes? <laughs> Love your enemies. Do good to those who don't do good to you, who speak ill against you. This is a hard thing for us, so we've got to understand who our Enemy is, enemy is not the word in which we think it is. It's rather those who are around us where it is not natural to love them. Those we don't want to love because they disagree with us. Those we struggle with loving because they post things that we would never post. Or because they argue with our posts. Come on, <laughs> right? Because they look a different way, sound a different way, believe a different way. This is the love that Jesus is talking about. And it's hard it's so hard, if we're honest, to love those type of people. I don't want to at times. It's so hard. Love your enemies. And so we're going to look at what this looks like and how this fleshes itself out in our lives. But why do we need to love this way? Well, John 13, 31 through 35 answers that question for us. It says, when he left, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify in himself and will glorify him at once. Children, I am with you. Now a little while longer, you will look for me and just as I have told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I'm going, you cannot come. I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this, by this, by this love, Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And for many of us, we go, well, that's easy. One another. The people I like to love. That make it a little bit easier to do. No, no, he's saying one another. Who is my neighbor? Everybody is my neighbor, even the neighbor that you disagree with. We are to love. And by this love, they will know us. And what's hard about this love for us is simply this, is because there are some fundamental things and things that are happening in our world right now and stuff that's going on that we, many of us who would uh, call ourselves Christ followers, we disagree with. But here's something that we need to understand. John three sixteen, 
Many of us can recite it because we've seen it at monster truck shows, not even at church. <laughs> Baseball games. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. gave. For God so loved the world he gave that whoever should believe in him would have everlasting life. There's two portions of this scripture that we need to understand. First and foremost, God gave Jesus freely because he loved us. Not because we were good, not because we had it together, not because we were doing things that were right all the time, simply because he loved. Salvation is the gift that's given through the belief that Jesus actually did that. Two very different things. But see, many of us believe that saying yes to Jesus, I'm getting his love. Did you hear me this morning? Many of us believe that when we say yes to Jesus, I'm getting his love. Uh-uh, uh-uh. We're getting salvation. We've always had his love. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying yes to his love. His love should cause me to say yes to him. So now he says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you and persecute you and do all these things. So this word love right here, there's a Greek word used for it, agape. Everybody say agape. agape. Turn to your neighbor and say agape you. Agape. Turn to your other neighbor and say agape me. Agape. Turn back and say quit talking to me. <laughs> so it carries with it, this term agape carries with it a very precise and definitive application of love. This is what it means, literally. To esteem Love indicating a direction of the will and finding one's joy in something or someone. It differs from phileo, love, which means to love indicating feelings, warm affection, and attraction. So here's what we need to understand. This is what it means to love your enemies. It means to love is a decision of the will, not the response of our feelings. In other words, every single day I have to decide to love Seth. He is my enemy, but I love him. <laughs> right? Every single day I have to decide, not because, oh, he makes me feel so good and we're in relationship and it's awesome. I choose to love him because I'm making a decision of the will. What would happen if the body of Christ, believers, Christ followers, decided today and every day forward that today I'm getting up and I may not feel like loving the world around me, but today I'm making decision to love those around me, to lift those up around me, to pray for those around me. I'm going to love this world. It's just to love your enemies. See, our greatest ability to exemplify the nature and character of God in the world in which we live is to love others, even when their lives do not match our preferred reality and truth. In other words, the injunction to love others is not based on how we feel about them, but rather how Jesus feels about them. And this is regardless of what someone may be caught up with, weighed down by, or willfully participating in. And don't worry, we'll get to this in this series. We'll talk about judging, judgmentalism, hypocrisy, what the Bible has to offer us concerning this issue in conjunction with the idea of truth and love. Because I know for some of us who have been in church for a while, we read the Bible and we go, well, but what about this? You ever had the what about? <laughs> we say something like this at baseball, well, what about this? What about this? What about this scripture? What about these two words? 
We'll get there. But notice Jesus didn't qualify. He just said, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Love your enemies, because that's hard enough for us to process as it is, let alone all the other things. And so what I want to do is I'm going to give you three things. I labeled them A, B, and C, so we're not shouting one, two, three today, okay? We're shouting A, B, C. We're going in a different direction, changing everything on you, all right? I'm going to give us three things that, in, in terms of loving our enemies, three things that I've employed in my life to help, help me out with this, this reality. Does that work for everybody this morning? All right, come on, everybody shout A. Come on, shout it like you're Canadian. Yeah. All right, good. Hey. Hey. First one's this. Look for the common ground. Come on, look for the common ground. If we're going to love others, we've got to look for the common ground. This one is, in fact, quite simple. The common ground is our humanity. And it's the brokenness there within. Listen to what Paul writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you notice, there's a lot of scripture because I want you to hear that this is the Bible, not my, not my idea, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. Common to humanity. What a statement. That which is common to each of us. This helps me every single time. I want to give less love to someone due to their humanity. It's the same humanity that causes me to stumble as it is the same humanity in another person that causes them to stumble. And see, the problem that we face is becoming the type of person that begins to believe that our humanity is somehow greater than another's, simply because we've developed a certain list of behavior modifications. And this is what we do when we gauge sin comparison, life comparison, or any other type of comparison that begins with, well, at least I'm not... Dot, dot, dot. Come on, anybody in church this morning. Understanding this helps me with a very important truth. Our humanity is the same, and it requires the same Savior. When was the last time you went into a hospital and you saw two people who had injuries arguing with each other as to whose injury was worse? and making themselves feel better as they compared their injury to another person's injury. Have you ever seen that happen? Like you've never walked into a room and had two people arguing and be like, well, I almost died. Mine was nowhere near that. Yeah, you're right. You've got the worst injury possible. My injury is so much better than your injury. You don't hear that. Rather, what you have is two people who are in a hospital room together who are injured. They're kind of, they're trying to find the common ground, which is this. We both need to see a doctor. We both need to find the one and speak to the one who has the ability to heal us and bring what we need to our injuries so that our injuries can be healed. And when we understand that your humanity and your humanity and your humanity and my humanity are the same, then we found the common ground and the common ground to interact with each other and realize, wait a second, we all need to find ourselves at the foot of the cross because that is where I find hope. That is where I find healing. That is where I find this, that, and the other. When we're comparing ourselves to other people, we ain't helping anybody out so when I'm in my gym or when I'm in the, my neighborhood or I'm in these different places I have the ability to as I, as I practice this in my life look for the common ground because your hurt may be a bit different than my hurt but it's still hurt come on how many show of hands can we have a therapeutic moment in here today 
How many of you have ever made a decision or done something out of hurt? <laughs> How many of you agree with me that there's literally millions and billions of people outside of the four walls of this church right now who have made the same decision? Look at that. We all the same. But how many of you would agree with me that Jesus laid his life upon the cross to overcome the decisions that all of us have made? It's the common ground. So I gotta look for the common ground. I gotta find common ground with people. Oh, Seth, you're messed up. Me too. I mean, I know that his mess up is so much greater than my mess up. Common ground. It's common ground with each other. That's why Matthew chapter 7, 1 through 7, do not judge so that you will not be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure in which you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. See, the progressive work of God's grace in my life does not make me better than someone else. It simply means that I've had my brokenness exposed to the one who can bring healing to my life. The common ground is the place at the foot of the cross. Every shout, be. 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 Listen to people's stories. Come on, can we get a good amen in church today? Now listen to people's stories. The truth is that we've stopped trying to listen to people's stories. Everyone has a story, and it plays a very important role in their life. So when my life collides with others' lives, it helps me navigate that collision. That's what James writes in James 1, 19 through 20. That's what it says. Not me, it's the Bible. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to what? Listen. Quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. And most times, we object to listening, are speedy at speaking, and we are upfront with our anger. I want to ask you this question, another challenging, if this hasn't been challenging enough so far, when was the last time you stopped and just listened to somebody? Not like this type of listening. They get like four words and you're like, mm, mm, but, but, right? We work through this with pre-marriage couples all the time. Active listening, active listening, and speaking with clarity. Because how many of you know, come on, especially you married, well, all of us in here, we know this. How many know that many times when we're in a conversation, we're not actively listening, right? We're already creating our rebuttal. Come on, somebody. We're sitting there and they're, they're talking to us and we're not listening. We're not actively listening. We're coming up with how am I going to, oh, I can't believe you just said that. I'm going to nail you with this next one. Just wait. We're writing our notes. We're putting our sermon together because the minute I can get a word in edgewise, when you breathe, I'm in. <laughs> Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? So we get in there and we're trying to make this happen, trying to make this happen, trying to make this happen, trying to make all these things be said and done and everything like that. Uh-uh, it doesn't work that way we got to listen. This is what happens when we listen. It tends to temper our judgment, soften our hearts, activate our ability to actually care. When we don't listen, we do, as author David Mathis put it, we diminish the other person. While on the other hand, good listening invites them to exist and matter. How many of you think our world would be a different place if there was a bunch of people making people feel like they exist and matter? Simply by listening. 
I don't have to say anything just by listening. Listen to Proverbs 18.2. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only wants to show off his opinions. And put it this way. A fool does not delight in understanding. He only wants to argue on Facebook. (laughs) What if the church was called to listen before it was called to speak? What if we were the type of people that in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and in our jobs and in our gyms and all these places that we interact with people that we don't necessarily agree with or frustrated with and everything like that, what if we just listened to their story? What if you, by listening, found out that the reason that they're dealing with the stuff that they're dealing with is not because they just want to live the way that they want to live, but actually there's a gross degree of brokenness in them and they're trying to put it all together just like you were trying to put it all together before Jesus redeemed you and picked you up out of the miry clay and started to reform you? And what if in that moment you could give them a hug instead of why they should be doing something different? Sometimes if we don't leave church with a little bit of a... uh, I want to be better at this. I want to be better at this. I want to be a better representation of who Jesus is in the world in which we live. Watch this. We must listen because as we listen, we are then given the platform to speak. And what we speak is in turn listened to. You ever met the person that sits in a conversation? You ever been in this conversation before? And that person just sits there and doesn't say anything? They just listen. Dave does this all the time. This is Dave. And then he makes us all look stupid because he then says something we're like, oh, thank you, Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) But you ever met that person? They sit back and everybody's giving their points and saying their thing and they're all good things and everything like that. And then the group turns to the person who hasn't said anything for 15 minutes and they go, what do you think? And they go, I think this, da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da. And everybody's like, oh, I never thought about that before. Why? Because we were too busy talking. We were too busy talking instead of listening. I've come to find out as we listen to people, we'll be given the opportunity to speak at a later date. Last one is this. Everybody say C. C. <laughs> I'm going to do ABC more often. Walk alongside them. Come on, can we walk alongside some people this year? We have to be people who walk with others rather than walk over others. And I love this story. Many of us have heard this story before. But it's the story where Jesus is sitting here and he's, teaching and all of a sudden a bunch of Pharisees bring a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery and it flings them out in front of Jesus and they, they stand there and they start to go through what's the protocol. And they say this in verse five, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They asked this to trap him in order they might have evidence to accuse him. They didn't even care about the lady. They were really trying to get after Jesus. So Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. Don't you wish you could do that in a meeting? They're like, what do you think about this? Just for effect. (laughs) He stooped down to the ground, and then he gets up. As they persisted questioning him, 
He said, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Boom. This is where we actually see the biblical mic drop happen. And then he stooped down again and continued riding on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one. And I could just picture this amazing moment. All of these men ready to stone this woman. Jesus throws this like a side-armed common out. And all of a sudden, as she's, as she's waiting to receive these blows from these stones, all she can hear is boof, boof, boof. As all these stones of accusation hit the ground in front of her, realizing that they were just as accused as she was. That they carried the same amount of brokenness as that she did. Sure, maybe theirs didn't come out in adultery. Sure, maybe theirs didn't come out in addiction. Sure, maybe theirs didn't come out in all these different ways. But they realized in that moment that their brokenness was as significant as her brokenness. And the only one who had the ability to pick up a stone was sitting right next to her, walking with her, not above her, but right beside her. I wish I knew what he was writing on the ground. I wonder if it pertained to the situation. But one thing I do know is that it was this moment that we see Jesus walking with her, even though they weren't moving. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. See, this is where we struggle as a church. Because we believe that it's our responsibility and role in the world around us to tell everything bad that's happening in someone's life, to tell everybody what they're doing wrong in their life. Don't we? I know, we won't raise our hands to that one. Jesus himself didn't even do it. He didn't condemn her. Is it possible that Jesus' love was so radical towards this woman that as she walked away, she legitimately repented? The Bible term repentance means a 180 degree turn. To go in the other direction. Here's the picture I get if you can give me just a little bit of leeway with the Bible this morning. I believe that the Pharisees brought her in one direction the direction that she was heading in as she was being pulled from adultery. She's thrown on the ground, and instead of going back out the way that she came, because of Jesus' love, the Bible reminds us that it is his love and kindness that draws people to repentance. I just happen to believe that she walked the other direction after this interaction with Jesus because she was loved so fiercely by the one who did not condemn her and had the full power to do so that she left going in the opposite direction because why would I want to head in that direction when I've experienced a love so great? That's the power of love. It redefines us. We sing this song this morning. It's not just a worship song to sing. It's a song giving accolade to the one who has loved us in such a profound and deep way that I don't know about you, but I've been changed by his love, and I am definitely not perfect, but I've been changed by his love. I don't have it all together, but I've been changed by his love. 
The church is not perfect, but man, it's been changed by its love. There's a bunch of people in this room this morning that are definitely not perfect, but come on. Has anybody been changed by the love and the grace of Jesus? I've been changed. I've been changed. I've been changed. And here's the deal. When we love others like we love Jesus has loved us, when we love others in the way that Jesus has loved us, we have the ability to push them towards and direct them to the one who gave it all for them. I want to love like that. And it's that type of love in the world around us. It's violent. I guess if I'm honest, I was doing some things in my younger years of my teenage years, my college years, well, before I went to Bible college. I had some people in my life who violently loved me. And what I mean by that, it was the violence of good. Because I looked in the mirror sometimes and I went, there is no way that you deserve the love that these guys are showing you. People in my life who loved me beyond my brokenness. I'll never forget in our young adults ministry back in Phoenix, and I'll close on this. A girl who went through some pretty tragic stuff. I'll spare you the details, but I'd venture to say that there's probably a few of us in this room have experienced what she's experienced. And in all of her tragedy and all of her brokenness, I'll never forget seeing her come into the building one day. She walked up. I said, how you doing? I said, I'm all right. You know when people aren't all right, but they say they're all right? She's come all right. I put my arms around her, and I hugged her. And she did what many of you do when you walk through the door and people hug you that you don't know. <laughs> and I kept on hugging her. And I just thought, I just want you to know something. We love you. God loves you. And it was in that moment you felt her body position change. Not because she was relaxing, but because her heart was softening. It was in that moment she began to weep. I mean weep. You know the type of weeping that you do when you're losing stuff that's been holding on to you for so long? That type of weeping. Convulsive weeping. I just put my arms around her and just loved on her and told her she was amazing and God had a plan for her and a purpose for her. And you could literally feel the addiction dropping off of her. You could literally feel the shame dropping off of her. You could literally feel the judgment dropping off of her as she sat there and wept and wept and wept. And we watched that girl grow in Christ. She changed little by little by little. But did you know what? The change wasn't because a bunch of people told her all the bad things she was doing. It was because a bunch of people held her in the midst of all the bad things she was doing and she was changed because of it. Because she found a radical love in Jesus that we as a church have been called to give out. So here's my task for us this week. Can we hug the world like that? Can we hug those around us like that? Can we find those in our workplace and be that person for them? Can we just say, hey, can I take you out to, to coffee? I just want to hear your story. I don't even want to talk. Just tell me your story. What's going on? And I guarantee you, church, 
We could change our city. We could be church that God has called us to be. In Jesus' name, come on, let's stand to our feet right now.